This is another episode of Main Corpse. I am your host, Matt. And I'm Kelsey. This is Kelsey. We have got a story for you that's going to turn the stomach. All right. Welcome back to Main Corpse Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Kelsey. And... I'm really excited about this food today. <laughs> do you want to tell everybody about I, it? I do. So this is actually one Brittany has been requesting that we do for a long time. Right down the road from where I live, uh, there is a small grocery store. Um, and it's called Gump's IGA. It's it's just a little little country grocery store. Yeah, we um, had we had their pepperoni rolls on our pepperoni roll contest. Right. So this is the same pepperoni roll. Um, okay. Only it is loaded this time. So we asked them to put their sauce on it that they use on their hot dogs. Okay. And we asked them to put their cheese on it. And this time we have a hot pepper cheese pepperoni roll. And we have a mozzarella uh, pepperoni roll. So we can see which one we like more. I don't believe they make a plain one. I think you have to buy cheese in it, which I really respect. Um, I genuinely respect everything's it. better with cheese. So, so that's not a problem for me. Yeah. I heated these up. Um, still seems a little bit cold. So I, I apologize for that, but let's give this a shot. You know what? Hmm. These are much better. Yeah. Adding the sauce and the cheese really helped. There is so much pepperoni in this. It's just wild. Well, if you remember, our main complaint last time was the empty space, which if you fill that with cheese and hot dog sauce, I don't love the hot dog sauce. I'm going to be honest. It's okay. It's a texture thing for mm -hmm. me. I get it. The taste, I think, is, is pretty good. It's got kind of an aftertaste I'm not a huge fan of, but the initial taste is very good. It's a little sweet for me. Yeah. Um, I, I like them a little more robust, but um, I don't I don't hate that. It's pretty okay. I yeah. don't like, I don't hate it. I like it. Yeah. It's, um... I think if I were there, I, it would be something I'd for sure grab I, for lunch. I think as soon as, yeah, because I, I'm going to, I'm going to, $2.29 with the cheese and the sauce in it, uh, which is extremely um, affordable. Wild. I could not believe that. All so right, yeah, so let's that try was the this, hot pepper cheese yeah, one. Yeah, let's try this mozzarella one. I almost like that one better, and I don't know why. I don't know why either, but I definitely like it better. Mm -hmm. I think the mozzarella cheese is better. Mm -hmm. It's actually really good. I like that one. It's a little bit saltier. Yeah, so, um, this this actually came about because we did not give this pepperoni roll massively high marks when we did the pepperoni roll because challenge. Because as a basic pepperoni roll, it's not that great. Correct. It's, it's okay. It's basic. I, I wouldn't be... If I went and got it for lunch, like you said, I wouldn't be mad at all. I'd be like, dang, for two bucks, this is a heck of a good lunch. Comparing it to other pepperoni rolls, there are better ones. But once you add everything and you kind of get it deluxe like this, mm -hmm. um, it's significantly better. I get that it is, it's a good blank canvas to add on to. Mm-hmm. So... After trying both hot pepper cheese and mozzarella fully loaded, which one's your favorite? Mozzarella, by yeah, far. It, it beat it. I, I'm shocked because uh, usually if I'm just getting them plain, it's hot the pepper. hot pepper cheese. Uh, but something about, like, I guess maybe the hot pepper, the way it kind of interacts with everything. I don't know. So right. we also grabbed their macaroni salad. Now, my understanding with this is they do not make this in-house. Um, however, they do kind of play around with it and kind of make it their own. Um, they were out of some of the things I wanted to try, so we'll see. I'm already not a big macaroni salad fan. I don't know if you are or not. Um, I love macaroni salad. It's one of my favorite parts of summer. Okay. It's just okay. Mm -hmm. It it has more of a slaw base on it than I think it has what I would want in a macaroni salad. It's very sweet. Everything they've got is very sweet. Yeah, old school. 
um, super old school yeah. in that way because uh, back back then, so early. But when I say back then, I mean like back in the fifties and sixties and seventies. Boy, everything was Miracle Whip. Like everything was Miracle. Yeah, Whip. we had the same discussion um, um, mm-hmm. when we talked about the parquet. Correct. It's it's old school, and that's that's actually who I would kind of compare them to a little bit in the way that they make their stuff. Because remember, that was my issue with parquet sauce too, is it was so sweet. Um, I was like, it's super sweet. Uh, so they just have an I old think school the way of doing solid. things. Yeah. Um, I would maybe add just a little bit of vinegar into it. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that would. I help think a lot. that would elevate mm-hmm. it. But beyond, I mean, it's it's a solid. Like if I bought this for whatever for a family function or something, yeah. I don't think I'd take any home. Yeah, the same. It, it's a very solid, uh, basic macaroni salad. There's yeah. nothing crazy going on here. But again, I'm going to stress one thing with this. This whole tub of macaroni salad was a dollar twenty eight. Oh yeah, no, for sure. This is um, worth every penny. Of this. And these pepperoni rolls were two twenty nine. I think after taxes, this this is probably the cheapest meal we've ever had on this show. Probably. Yeah. Um, it is it is shockingly um, low cost and affordable. Yeah. Um, to get you... this and a pepperoni roll for lunch is one mm-hmm. way too much food. Yeah. And you've spent less than five bucks. Way less for two people to eat. And I'm going to say this. It's right on your way to Tiger Lake. So if you're going out for a day on the lake, this is literally the perfect thing to grab and take with you. You know what? I should have I should have made us um, macaroni salad for our trip. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brittany would have loved it. I am not a big macaroni salad You've fan. never complained about mine. I know. I do. I do like it whenever you make it. So overall, I'm, I'm going to say this is a darn solid pepperoni roll. And just for the price alone, it is worth going and trying. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Especially, like, if you're in Grafton, you're on your way to Tiger mm-hmm. Lake, or you're headed out to... There's a f- there's a water park there. I there didn't is. know that. Yep, there's a water park. We should all go out to it one day. It's really fun. I'm told if you don't get there early, you don't get in. Yeah, you're not going to get in. Um, and the swimming area is shockingly affordable. It's very, very nice. Um, just the basic swimming area. So, yeah, what I'm going to say is, like I said, for the price, this is, this is killer. Um, yeah. I it's, like it. Yeah, no, it's great. So when you walk in... It's really nostalgic for it me. It is. Because when, when you walk in, it is an old school... Have you been in there before? No, I've never old been there. Old school grocery store. I mean, they have... I mean, I'm not... This is not being mean to Gumps because I do love the place. Um, it, it feels like you just walked into 1975. You walk back. They have these individually wrapped, piled up in a mound on a table. And you just grab also, one. So you guys know, and we're going to post pictures probably. We always say we are, and sometimes we do. Yeah, and we, we always do. forget. Yeah. Um, but these these pepperoni rolls are the size of my face. They're huge. That's the other yeah. thing that we did fail to mention. I'm, I'm telling you, they are the size of like a small pumpkin. Uh, yeah, they are I mean, they are massive. And the bread rolls. is so soft. It is so good. Yeah, yeah, I like the bread a lot. Yeah, I'm a big fan of what they do with the bread. It reminds me of the softest dinner roll I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so it, again, it's just classic. So again, uh, Gump's very solid addition to the pepperoni roll lineup. Um, plain, we did not love them. Second chance. Fully loaded with their sauce. Significantly better. Way better. Yeah. Yeah. Way, way better. But I'm still not going to move them up my rankings. I'm going to leave them where they were. Yeah. Yeah. That said, I don't think that the other pepperoni rolls we had could hold up to this amount of food, like on top of it. Like if you I, I think so them, too. I don't yep. think that it would have worked. I think this is I think this is this is made to be stuffed with goodies. Mm-hmm. It's just made to do it. Our winter sweet nanas might have though. Oh yeah. Because they oh my gosh, those yeah. are We still need to try um I'm I'm still gonna stump for uh New Era Bakery's pepperoni rolls. 
I think I think we we need to make that happen. I uh, keep telling are, you to go for it. They're magic. All right. So, uh, I you know what? Let's get to the episode. How about that? All right. All right. Let's talk about recent events just a little bit to give yeah. you guys an idea of where my mind's been for the last. We're gonna say week. <laughs> I'm sorry, your mind? You mean the entire planet's mind. Okay, um, but mine's been, like, worse because I had already written this episode. Okay. Um, right. And you're, I think you're going to understand. Um, so the submersible, I'm not going to say anything about it, but my my mind did not go to a great place for the CEO because of this story here. Okay. And I think you're going to understand more as we get to the end of it, but I I need to apologize to uh, Matt and Britt because I've been shoving everything, every article <laughs> I've found, every TikTok, all of it, every meme mm-hmm. at these two. And the worst part is, guys, you you only got a third of what I sent to my best friend in Florida and Michael. I, I was sending memes like nobody's business. Um, that said, let's let's get into this and just kind of keep that in the back of your mind okay. while you're listening. On it. All right. So, our journey starts with Arthur Duperalt. He was a World War II Navy veteran who moved back home to Green Bay after meeting and marrying his wife during his service. He was very successful and um, had long dreamed of returning to the sea taking his wife and family on a week-long cruise from the Keys to the Bahamas. And it took years, absolutely years, before they saved up enough money to make his dream into a reality. It took until the summer of 1961 before they had saved enough to finance their cruise. They planned to spend one week living at sea aboard a chartered yacht, docking at several chosen locations with the possibility of extending this vacation if they felt like they were having enough fun. Now, the family arrived in Fort Lauderdale in early November, where they chartered the Bluebell for $515. What year was this? 1961. Okay. All if right. you want to do the math, <laughs> I, I didn't do I that. I will. I'll do, I'll do the math on that, because that seems extraordinarily inexpensive. Well, Arthur hired um, a well-known local yachtsman with whom he was already acquainted okay. to be the skipper of the vessel at the rate of $100 per day. Now, I found that in one location. Another location said that the owner hired him. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. That said, um, 44-year-old Julian Harvey and his current sixth wife was 34-year-old uh, Mary Dean Harvey, and these two would staff the catch. Mary Dean was a stewardess and was appoint- appointed to serve as a cook on the yacht. The family boarded the Bluebell around midday on November 8th of 1961. Now, over this week, the Bluebell traveled to locations such as Bimini and Sandy Point, where the family got souvenirs and spent their time doing general tropical vacation activities like snorkeling. Now, while the family was doing this, Harvey had yet to come into port ever and um, file his correct paperwork. It was at a time... You couldn't do it now, but this was at a time when there was a lot more leeway for American vessels, so long as they didn't, and, like, they didn't mind so long as they came in and did file their paperwork at some point. Now, um, November 12th, Harvey finally brought the catch into port and filed all his paperwork, 
And while he was doing that, he and Arthur visited the um, British District Commissioner, Roderick Pinder, and Arthur stated, this has been a once-in-a-life vacation and we'll be back before Christmas. This was November. Okay. So so let me ask you, what year was it again? 1960? 61. 61. Okay. So I've added this up. And how, how many days did he charter this vessel for? Um, it was for a full week. It was for a full week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he overpaid at 550 That is $5,594 by today's standard. I don't know. I think it might be more than To charter than a that, yacht? To charter a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost $6,000. 5500 Yeah. It's pretty, pretty I'm telling expensive. you, you and I could not afford to charter a yacht for a week. Okay. All right. I, I don't know. I've never tried to <laughs> charter a yacht. So I don't know. That's uh, That seems expensive, but um, seems worth it for a whole week. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to... I mean, you're talking about basically a floating hotel. Yeah. Right, so... Where they cook all your food, uh-huh. like you don't have to do anything. It's okay, all expenses paid for five thousand dollars for a family of five. Okay, all right, so not so bad. Thousand bucks a piece. So that evening, Mary Dean made everyone a meal of chicken cacciatore and salad. After dinner, around nine, eleven-year-old Terry Joe Duperall went below deck to the sleeping cabin while everyone else remained above deck. The next day, around twelve p.m. A crew member aboard an oil tanker in the Gulf Lion observed a man waving frantically from a dinghy, shouting, Help! I have a dead baby on board. When the man was finally pulled aboard, crew members observed that he had the deceased body of a small, red-haired girl wearing a life jacket. The gentleman identified her as Terry Joe Duperall and himself as Julian Harvey. Okay. He explained to the crew that around 8.30 the night before, his vessel was hit by a sudden strong squall that caused the Bluebell to rapidly keel over and the mainmast to snap somewhere between the Abaco Islands and the Great Stirrup Cay. His wife and Arthur Duperall were injured and the hull of the ship was pierced. According to Harvey, he was completely separated from the rest of the passengers by the falling mass and the loose rigging that resulted from it. He said he was attempting to retrieve a wire cutter from the cabin to clear deck space, but a sudden fire broke out on board, and he was not able to rescue his wife or any of his passengers. He abandoned the catch, and the body of the young girl floated by, so he chose to retrieve her body and attempted to revive her. He was obviously unsuccessful, although he decided to keep her body with him on the raft out of respect. This all sounds very unlikely. <laughs> um... I'm just going to say, like, have have you ever... So, you know the, the cliche of you can tell someone's lying when they go into too much detail? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just feels that way. Like, every every step of the way, I, I could have helped, but there was a squall. Could have helped. I was blocked by the rigging. Could have helped. There was a sudden fire. It just, it feels all... Yeah. I'm already, sus- I'm already suspicious. Harvey was taken to Nassau where he um, was questioned by authorities. Several struggled to believe him as he was what they considered too calm and his raft happened to be filled with survival supplies. Okay. Still, as the only survivor, his story really couldn't be disproven. And he was allowed to return to Miami on November 15th, where he began to face further questioning from the U.S. Coast Guard. There were several other red flags in his statements to them, like 
why he wouldn't have done certain things being an extremely skilled sailor. Like, he never lifted the sail of his dinghy. Also, for the mast to have fallen the way he described was damn near impossible. Not to mention, as far as they could tell, there hadn't actually been any extreme weather in that area. And if there had been, why would Arthur Duperalt, an extremely skilled sailor, keep the boat moving into the wind, which would have fanned flames from the fire that was on deck, back into himself and the other passengers on board? So, can we talk about the the part of this that is the most suspicious? Yes. The word dinghy, it cracks me up every time I hear it. I, I don't... You're going to laugh a lot in this oh, episode. Oh, not dinghy. No. Uh, oh, one yeah. of my favorite movies ever, mm-hmm. The Wicker Man. Uh-huh. And there's a scene where Sergeant Howie is saying, uh, send a dinghy. And every time that happens, I think <laughs> about recording it and using it for my voicemail when you call me. Just him saying, send a dinghy over and over again. <laughs> Uh, so I'm sorry. Amazing. I had to put that out there. Go no, ahead. we're good. Um, so November 16th, second officer Nicholas Spokadakis, I apologize to any Greek listener we have, um, observed something floating in the waves, too small to be a tugboat or a dinghy. He immediately summoned his captain over to the bridge. The two realized with horror that it wasn't a fishing vessel, but a small two-foot by five-foot cork raft containing a young blonde child wearing a white blouse and pink corduroy slacks. She was leaning back and waving waving feebly. The captain ordered the engines to be stopped and a raft to be lowered. One of the crew took a photo of her squinting into the sun and looking up at the vessel that was in the midst of saving her. The crew noted sharks circling her raft and members began shouting at her not to jump into the water. She was eventually hoisted aboard the Captain Theo and placed in the spare cabin. They quickly discovered that she was incoherent and barely able to speak. The crew gave her water and orange juice and began sponging salt from her body and adding Vaseline to her lips. She barely managed to identify herself as Terry Joe Duperalt and informed the crew that she had been floating for several days after her vessel sank. She then lapsed into a semi-comatose state, unable to communicate any further. The captain immediately informed the U.S. Coast Guard of their discovery and the child's medical predicament. It wasn't long before a rescue helicopter was summoned. Terry Jo was suffering from severe sunburn, dehydration, and exposure. She was airlifted to the hospital in critical condition. Three hours after arriving, she slowly began to recuperate in the Miami hospital. It took only two days before she was able to begin speaking to investigators. On November 20th, she began explaining to the Coast Guard exactly what had happened to her family and Mary Dean Harvey. She said that late on November 12th, the Bluebell was on its return journey to Fort Lauderdale. She remembers that around 9, she headed for bed, leaving her family and the Harveys on deck. She was awakened by the sounds of her brothers screaming for their father and heavy footfalls on the deck above her. She went aboard deck to investigate. Once there, she observed the bodies of her brother and mother in the main cabin, not that far from the galley. She stated there was blood all over. Making her way further onto the deck, she saw Julian Harvey carrying a bucket. He slapped her across the face and shouted at her to get back down there and shoved her below deck. She returned to the cabin, only to see oil and water beginning to gush onto the floor of the cabin about 15 minutes later. 
Not long after that, Harvey entered her cabin wielding a rifle. He made eye contact with her before he turned and went back up to the deck where she heard hammering a few minutes later. She returned to the deck herself where she saw Harvey standing. Um, The vessel's dinghy was floating on the port side. He asked her if the dinghy was loose and she told him that I don't know ordered her to hold the rope attached to the dinghy while he went to get something. However, by the time he returned, the rope had slipped from her hands. He dove overboard and swam toward the dinghy, abandoning Terry Joe on the sinking vessel. In a moment of clarity, she remembered a small, oblong cork float on the deck. She hurriedly untied the float as the boat deck was sinking into the ocean. At this point, she threw it over the deck and swam to the raft. She says that she pushed it further into the open water before she climbed onto it. She was unable to lay down because the raft was so small, so she had to remain sitting the entire time. Oh, my God. She drifted, often spotting birds, which gave her hope for land, and she continued drifting approximately 84 hours, almost three and a half days, without food, water, or shelter. Just sitting upright on a tiny raft. To stay afloat, she had to sit upright, yeah. Wow. When questioned more specifically, Terry Joe was adamant that the mast of the Bluebell was intact and there had been no fire aboard the vessel. She also explained that the seas were calm through the entire ordeal, which how else would the cork raft have stayed afloat if they weren't? Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. She also explained shortly thereafter in a statement... um, she was informed that Harvey had been picked up alive three days prior to herself in a life raft alongside the dead body of her younger sister, Renee, who, according to autopsy, had in fact drowned. She was also informed that her parents, brother, and Harvey's wife, Mary Dean, had not been recovered. So let's backtrack a little bit. Back to November 17th. Julian Harvey is being questioned again. Several of his statements aren't adding up. He's reiterating his story to the Coast Guard investigators. A sudden squall brought down the mast, putting a hole in the ship, rupturing the auxiliary gas tank, and starting a fire. Due to the circumstances, he was unable to rescue his wife or the other passengers. He also claimed to have found what he said was Terry's body, but we now know was Renee floating, and he unsuccessfully attempted to revive her. Midway through this specific interrogation... He was informed that Terry Joe had, in fact, been rescued the previous day and was beginning to improve. He immediately exclaimed, oh my god, before seeming to realize that his reaction wasn't quite appropriate before he calmly added, isn't that wonderful? This guy's a maniac. Lieutenant Ernest Murdoch also informed him that an official investigation into the loss of the Bluebell and her passengers was being launched. At this time, Harvey asked to be excused from further interrogation, saying he was tired and he wanted to speak to his wife's family. They granted his request. I'm sure they did. (laughs) He left, rented a car, and drove to the Sandman Motel, where he proceeded to check in under an assumed name of John Monroe. He paid cash for his room, wrote a lengthy two-page note, put a $10 bill on the dresser, for his maid, and think of that in inflation. Mm-hmm. He then sat on the bed and began to cut his thigh. At this point, he assumptively decided to move somewhere that would be less difficult for his maid to clean and headed to the bathroom where he proceeded to use his, la- 
razor to slash his wrist, uh, both forearms, his thighs, his ankles, and then his own jugular vein. Approximately two hours later, a maid entered to clean the room. She found blood spots on the bed, didn't think much of it, as it wasn't really that much. And by the time she moved to the bathroom and tried to open the door, she realized that some it felt like something was propped against it. After several tries, she alerted authorities, and it took two men to force their way in. What they found was, by all accounts, extremely gruesome. The note that Harvey had written was addressed to a close friend from his days in the military service. He requested that the recipient take good care of his 14-year-old son, Lance, and ask to be buried at sea. He left no explanation or apologies for what it had been done and simply ended with, I got too tired and nervous. I couldn't stand it any longer. Given such clear evidence of foul play from Terry Joe's statements and Harvey's suicide, an investigation was launched into Julian Harvey's most recent history. At this point, it was revealed that he was a decorated um, World War II vet and a pilot in the Korean War. He had difficulties holding a job for any length of time. He also had serious financial problems. Now, I I just want to take a moment here. Um, I, I know that... He's clearly the bad guy. Correct. Yes. That said, I I really think that it's important to highlight what I feel are extremely obvious signs of PTSD or what they would have known as shell shock. Sounds like it. Yeah. Especially the um, not being able to hold a job for very long, um, having what sounds like very unstable, a very unstable home life. Um, yeah. He went through six wives. He... Never had any money. He. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that this excuses what he did because it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's extremely important that we at least acknowledge that maybe this could have been prevented. Well, yeah. I mean, there there are a lot of cases um, that that I've personally read about of. Um, veterans, especially veterans who were part of, who saw serious combat, um, who, who not everyone a lot can of trouble. be Sergeant Stubby, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, nobody is. Um, <laughs> Sergeant Stubby, we love you. Uh, we love you, Sergeant I Stubby. I really hope Sergeant Stubby has been, um, played by the time this comes It has out. not, uh, because oh, no. it has not, but it's okay because you guys are going to get to know Sergeant Stubby. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I've always been a big proponent of, uh, of, of better health care, both mental and physical for veterans. I think um, for everyone. Yeah, it's for so important. Agreed. But honestly, I realized the times that wasn't, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. And I mean, if you're not going to do, if you're not going to provide it for everybody, at least provide it for the people that served you yeah a hundred percent you know i mean it just at at bare minimum do that our veterans are one of the most forgotten populations correct and that that has nothing to do with anything other than our veterans because our veterans are men women of all colors and races and they they're extremely forgotten they get what va benefits that don't cover half of what they need right they have to have supplemental insurances that's absurd it's wild yeah. That's absurd. Agreed. Um, okay. So, having said that, let's move on. Investigators discovered that Harvey had um, previously survived a car accident that had killed both his second wife and her mother. 
win a 1946 Plymouth Deluxe that he'd been, he happened to have been driving just plunged off a bridge at high speed into a bayou on one rainy night. So just to be clear, that's not the Plymouth's fault. Plymouth is a good, solid American vehicle. Go Mopar. All right, so we're going to throw that in there. He was able to swim to safety, but he left his wife, Joanna, and her mother, Myrtle, to drown. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, that's not the shell shock. This is just a bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. I think it's, it's just, both. It can, and it can be both. And, you know, you can already have... You can already have the personality that's capable of doing things like that, and it can be exacerbated by shell shock or PTSD. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I feel like extreme mental conditions can Correct. change the way a person sees and reacts to the world around them. And if you're already not awesome, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Yeah. Now, <laughs> it was also discovered <laughs> that one of his y'alls, the Torbatross had sunk after turning into the clearly marked wreckage of a warship, um, Sam Marcos. Now, the crew members aboard the vessel he was um, steering repeatedly warned him to steer clear of it, but he continued to navigate his vessel around the prohibited site, claiming to the crew's passengers that were on it at the time that he was attempting to read the bayou marking the site. In 1958, he had a powerboat. He named that powerboat the Valiant. It also sunk under suspicious circumstances off the coast of Cuba. Of course, all of these losses and tragedies yielded large insurance settlements where he benefited significantly. And just recently, two months after their marriage, in July of 1961, um, he had arranged for a double indemnity insurance policy on his wife, Mary Dean. And this was just one month prior to the Duperault family charting the Bluebell. Harold Pegg, the owner of the Bluebell, had hired Harvey to take any tourist upon their desired cruises, paying him $300 a month and giving him free accommodation aboard the boat. That's where I don't know if he got paid by Duperault, if they both got paid by Duperault. Yeah, yeah, I don't don't know. know. What, how did he get away? This is so sloppy. This is so sloppy. It was the 60s and he was a white man. Wow. I mean, this is unbelievably, like, this is wild that he got away with it this many times. Okay. All right. Because we didn't have computers. They had no way of fact-checking any of that. (laughs) If he had the policies with different insurance companies. By the way, we saw a thing on, um, we saw, we saw a, uh, a TikTok where someone was like, the next time you're interviewing for a job. Did you see this one? And somebody says, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Is that, (laughs) Brittany was telling me about it. I didn't get a chance to watch it yet. Just, if someone says, can you please explain this large gap? Just say, I signed an NDA. No, I can't. I signed an NDA. They can't question you further. Amazing. That's not my advice, but it's good advice. Locking that away in the old noggin um, for the job search in the future. All right. So, go ahead. (laughs) So, personally... I feel extremely comfortable speculating that Harvey likely planned to murder his wife at sea and use whomever the tourists happened to be as witnesses to collaborate his claims. The Duperalt family was just the very first set of clients that Harvey took out. First time out. Mm Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Okay. Now, the inquiry 
on Harvey assumed that he may have been observed by Arthur Duperall, either in the act of the murder or disposal of the body. And Harvey then proceeded to murder the entire family, who had also possibly witnessed something. Now, they assumed that he likely retrieved Renee's body to add credibility to his story. The inquiry concluded that had Harvey not chosen death by suicide, he would have been prosecuted for the murder of all of those who had died aboard the Bluebell and the attempted murder of Terry Joe. A statement from the U.S. Coast Guard's official report into the loss of the Bluebell says, Arthur Duperault, Jean Duperault, Brian Duperault, and Mary Dean Harvey lost their lives at the hands of Julian A. Harvey prior to the sinking of the vessel. The exact nature of the circumstances whereby these lives were taken or the order in which they perished cannot be ascertained. The most probable cause of the casualty was the state of mind of Julian A. Harvey at about 11.30 p.m. November 12th. Following the loss of her family, several offers for adoption arrived at the hospital Terry Jo was in, including one from the doctor who had been caring for her. Aww. I know, th- That was my first response. I was yeah. like, that is literally the sweetest. That is amazing. Like, his wife was on board. It's like, how, how cute is that? Yeah. Still, Terry Jo returned to the Green Bay area where she would live with her father's sister, her grandmother, and three of her cousins. And due to the lack of psychological assistance available in the 60s, she was seldom spoken to about her ordeal and offered absolutely no trauma counseling. Terrible. Yeah. And she kept the blouse and slacks that she had been wearing at the time of her rescue. The following year, she changed her first name, spelling it as T-E-R-E instead of T-E-R-R-Y, saying that she refused to be viewed as a victim. Terry Jo would later marry and have three children. As an adult, she chose to live and work close to the ocean, and she retired in Wisconsin. Twenty years after the incident, she would finally speak out publicly regarding the loss of her family and her survival. In 2010, she released a memoir titled Alone, Orphaned on the Ocean. She co-authored it with a psychologist and survival expert, Richard Logan. Some have speculated as to why Harvey did not actually murder Terry Joe. Earl Stanley Gardnett says Harvey may have actually subconsciously wanted to be punished for his actions. However, Logan and others have theorized that he he did intend to kill her, and the only reason he didn't was because she had dropped the rope holding she the dinghy. She dropped the rope. That was going to say. He was forced yeah. to make a split decision. And he, he was in a situation where he needed an extra pair of hands, and she was there, so he tried to have her help. When she her she I mean, saved she her 11. life, she saved her life when she when she accidentally let go of the rope because mm-hmm. he panicked and jumped overboard yeah. to get it. And he just assumed she wouldn't survive a sinking vessel in the Correct. middle of the ocean. Well, he was damn wrong. Yeah. So. Forty nine years after her ordeal, Terry Joe granted a TV interview with morning TV host Matt Lauer, in which she stated, I think he probably thought I would go down with the ship. She also stated her belief was that Harvey had originally intended to discreetly murder his wife and dispose of her body, later to claim she was lost at sea, but more than likely his wife fought him, attracting the attention of the other passengers. Terry Jo also stated that she doesn't wish for people to reflect upon her ordeal and think, gee, that poor little girl, but rather she has gone on with her life. She believed that she was saved for a reason, and if one person heals from a life of tragedy after reading or hearing about her story, she felt her journey would have been worth it. In her book, 
I just wanted to make a note of this because it's so sweet. In her book, she thanks the captain and crew of the Captain Theo for saving her from the ocean, Dr. Franklin Verdon, the doctor who nursed her back to health and for being there when she awoke from her coma before thanking multiple friends and family for being there as well. And note, um, she put a special thanks to her pets in there. She ended it with... It is my hope to help others with my story. And that's all I've got for you today. Do you yeah. see why do you see why the submersible has oh, been yeah. on my mind it's been so on much? Your mind, uh, while you're working through this one. So yeah, you've had a rough couple weeks with this one, haven't you? I have, because oh. I'm like, oh, what did he do? What was he hiding? Why did he go down <laughs> with the ship? You were just immediately <laughs> I'm suspicious. I know. How I'm this suspicious. Stuff works. He probably he probably um, murdered all those people. You know, this story just um I love stories about strong survivors, and I'm even more impressed that that she was able to not only survive, but but really it sounds like take control of her life um, at a time when when that would have been very very difficult for a young woman to do. So yeah, um, I think outstanding. it's I think it's amazing and just so impressive and outstanding and crazy because she had no way of getting any counseling, didn't talk to anybody about it. I like, wouldn't be able to get by it without. I wouldn't be able to get past something like that with it. You and I both know I would never shut up about it. Yeah, it would be. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she would never be quiet about it. Um, It's true. (laughs) I wouldn't either. The first thing I would would do is call Matt and I'd be like, listen, Matt, do you believe this? Yeah. (laughs) And it would be, it would be like every time, hey, do you remember that time? I would do the same thing. Remember when I survived that? It was crazy. Do you remember like, yeah, Um, no, just casually. Um, Remember when I survived the ocean and sharks? Yeah. So one of the things that I didn't put in here and I think is just so interesting, um, they think that the oil coming from the Bluebell as it sank actually saved Terry Joe from being able to be seen by predators. Wow. Yeah. Because when they looked up, all they could see was the dark cloud. They couldn't see her pink and white. Yeah, because I was going to say, um, with with her being on such a flimsy little... It's, it's shocking something didn't bump into her and knock her um, off of it. So she said that occasionally fish would nibble at her. Oh, my God. Yeah, she she it's had, horrifying. like... Yeah, it terrifying like i literally could not like how strong and amazing i'm gonna be honest i didn't look into it because i was gonna be sad if i found out what i didn't want to hear i don't know if terry joe's still around but if you are terry joe and if you happen to hear this my god you are my new hero yeah i am so impressed (laughs) by you impressive yeah Um, this is great um yeah great great like um, um, a wild story one of the saddest things I've ever heard that an entire family had to lose their lives mm-hmm. because one person was trying to collect insurance money on his wife. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, it's shocking that they all had to lose their life, but at least there's a small bright spot that comes out of it. I think so. I think that's the most important part here. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear about Sergeant Stubby. You're going to love him. You're going to, Sergeant Stubby is going to be such a palate cleanser after this story. You're going to love it. You're going to love this. All right. That's all the time we have. Thank you for listening. Um, As always. Yeah, thank you. And as always, stay creepy. Stay creepy.